Welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current across education and teaching. School librarianship can be a very lonely profession. Many work on their own and rarely see the outside four walls of their school library. This week, we're talking about how school librarians can empower themselves and the profession by focusing on the organisations and the schools that they work in. We'll also be chatting about the importance of building support networks within and beyond your school libraries. Tonight, I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts school and school librarians, Sabrina Cox and Ruth Maloney. And our guests this evening are Sue Wills, MBE, Assistant Director of Arts, Culture and Heritage at Surrey County Council, Sue Williamson, MBE, Vice President of SILIP, and Luke Burton, Director of Libraries at Art Can Arts Council England. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Now, I am going to have a little bit of a problem because I've got two Cs and two CWs. So bear with me. We will somehow work out how who we're talking to as we go through. But why don't we start with a little introduction with Sue Williamson. Can you tell me something about your background and why you think it's important for school librarians to be aware of their organisations and their aims and objectives? Uh, thank you, Elizabeth, and uh, thank you for having me along this evening. Um, so um, I'm retired, six Saturdays and a Sunday, um, but I am vice president of, of SILIP. And before I retired last November, I'd spent in the course of my life around 30 years in public libraries. Um, or working for pub in the field of public librarianship. Um, I finished um, having done several roles as a head of service, but I managed adult and community learning and arts and culture in the service that I was, I was head of. And then I went to Arts Council England as their director for libraries. So Luke is following, or, or, or has followed me in that role, um, which is a very strategic role. And um, sorry, the second part of your question was, it was How, more about the the why do we think it's important that librarians are aware of their organisational aims okay. and objectives? So I, I think it doesn't matter what field you work in. As a librarian, you don't work in a vacuum, whether it's in a public library or a health library or a school library. You are an integral part of the organisation that your library is part of. And if you're not aware of what that organisation's concerns and issues are and its aims and objectives, your library is not going to be as relevant as it could be. So, for example, in a school library, you might be thinking that a key issue that's facing head teachers at the moment is the impact of the pandemic. Um, and so um, the impact on children in terms of health and well-being, how you deal with that, um, and also um, just the fact that they have let they have lost so much in terms of school attendance and literacy attainment and how you might be able to support that. That's just two of the things that, that I think of off the top of my head. Um, and I think it's really important that the library positions itself as a really key solution to those problems because it is and it can. I mean, libraries are all about providing information and supporting people um, to get that information and to be able to use it. And so that's why I think it's important. And as I say, it doesn't matter which branch of librarianship you're in. I think it's absolutely crucial because otherwise you're just going to be sidelined. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I think I think what's lovely about tonight's conversation is the fact that we're talking more broadly than just school libraries, but actually school libraries can be the heart of this conversation, which is which is fantastic. Um, Sue, the other Sue, <laughs> can I bring you in now? Just a brief introduction. You have a, a his, uh, uh, your history is school libraries, isn't it? So um, so my first job was a children's librarian. And then I've worked in school library services and I've worked in school libraries and I've worked in public libraries. And I've also worked in London boroughs, in counties and unitary authorities like Paul as a professional librarian and as a professionally chartered librarian, um, which I'm very, very proud of um, to hold that qualification. Um, so, yes, I started my life as a children's librarian. And let's let's not let's not share this. Is, it's my big secret at heart. I'm a children's librarian. <laughs> <laughs> once once one, always one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think, though, about like I know Sue would said a lot about organisational aims and objectives. What, what do you think? Because sometimes I don't know whether school librarians get involved enough with with what is going on in the in the wider world of of organizational aims and objectives and and how do you feel how do you feel that they can have an impact so i think the most important thing first of all is to understand that you need to make make it clear that you need to have that impact and going back to what sue has said it's being really clear about the organization's aims and objectives and it doesn't matter if you're in the tiniest village school or the biggest county council the, the same principle applies, whatever the organisation, whether it's a, a school library, a public library, a specialist library, an academic library, it's making sure that you're showing how you meet the objectives of the organisation and, and demonstrating all of that. And, and Sue's already very eloquently kind of said most of the things I was going to say, but there's one critical bit um, that really is for me, I would like people to take away from this part of the, the, the talk, really. For me, and, and Sue's touched on it, the critical thing here is to demonstrate the impact that you have. And um, to do that, um, and don't make it complicated, to do that is going to vary depending on what you're doing. But it's the basic things like the number of visits to your library, the kind of events that you're doing in your library, the kind of activities, and both the range of activity and the amount of participation so even if you're, you know, even if you're counting the number of people coming to your library, it doesn't have to be posh, it has can be really basic, but it's those figures that really matter. And then if you can get any feedback from users, whatever feedback you can get, even if it's, I came to this event and I had a great time. And then you're able to say that of all the people that came to your event, 95% said they had a great time. That is such a powerful story to tell, no matter what organisation you're part of. And as I say, that's true of any library, any library service. So that's, that demonstrating impact and it doesn't it can be really basic simple stuff that's my takeaway really from from this this part of the talk absolutely i think it's really important that we that we understand however small a role we seem to be playing if you attach it to the wider organization it becomes so much bigger um so so you're right sue it's about not making not making such a big deal of it in your own head but actually understanding the bigger impact that you're going to have yeah so sitting very quietly this evening is luke <laughs> thank you so much for joining us 
can I get you to do the same? Not that there's now much to say about organisational aims, but can you just introduce yourself? And if you do have something else to say, then please feel free, Luke. Thanks, Elizabeth. And yes, yeah, it's, it's lovely to be here as well. Yeah, like you say, a lot of it's been covered, but um, so my background's in public libraries as well. Um, 15 years, as I've been a head of service for a couple of years and um, also worked on digital projects and in prison libraries and local studies libraries. And I should probably declare an interest as well. I'm a second generation librarian. So um, both my parents were lib qualified librarians and my mum was a school librarian in a, in a, a secondary school for 20 years. So uh, I've, uh, I'm a little bit biased, I suppose, when it comes to the impact <laughs> of school libraries. Um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Sue and Sue have both covered a lot of those points around organisational um, involvement. And I think it's, for me, there's also the element of um, libraries across the board have never been particularly good at shouting about what they do. You know, there's this piece about the, the, the impact the libraries can have and the, the importance of them. And I think particularly for sort of children and young people in, in an ever more information saturated world, there are th those skills that libraries and librarians share around knowledge management, information literacy, you know, um, critical thinking, I think they're ever more important now as well. We, coming back to the point around, you know, the impacts of COVID, but misinformation and things that we were seeing around that. So I think there's a, a range of critical skills that uh, libraries can play. But from that organisational point of view, I think school libraries probably suffer in the way that public libraries have in terms of making their voice heard and, and demonstrate. I think once people step through the door and they see what they can get, but it's maybe getting them through the door in the first place is part of the challenge. Absolutely. It's definitely that understanding, isn't it? It's that it's that we have something of value and and not everybody is listening. So being able to demonstrate your value is is hugely important. Sue, you have your hand up. Do you want to come and join in? Yeah, you're you're muted. Sorry, I'm just finding the buttons. To That's all right. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add to that, actually, because I think I think Luke's absolutely right we don't shout enough about what we do but i think it's more than that i think that when we when we demonstrate that we are make, we're good partners and we can actually deliver against something we tend to be quite passive so we tend to be very reactive to what other people want people want instead of going in and saying right this is your problem this is what we're going to do we're going to do this and actually this is really going to be a benefit to you because of this, this, this and this. And I think what ha what happens is that we, we, we tend to be slightly passive as partners and not not pushy enough. So it's very easy for other people with louder voices to get their message across or to or to see seem as if they are the dominant partners in a partnership situation. So I think when 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 school when anybody goes into doing something which is of real value it's really important to get the parameters of the partnership right at the beginning this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to deliver this is what you're going to get from us and this is what it's going to do to help you and this is what the outcomes are going to be and I just think we I think Luke's absolutely right we just need to be louder about it yeah I can say we're not we really aren't very good at it uh, you know I just going off ever so slightly I've just been watching some of the AI in education conference that that was on today and I also watched the other day and there are some very big powerful educational speakers there um you know librarians should be part of that conversation and and you know nudging my way in <laughs> is is happening but the fear factor that you are not good enough or as professional or as 
it, it stands in the way of this. And I think, you know, we need to be braver, understand our worth and actually give ourselves the opportunity to be able to to know enough to have these conversations. Can I bring Ruth in? Yeah, I, th I think that's really interesting. And, and to, I don't think I've heard it expressed in that way before, but that's entirely how I feel about it. It's not just that we don't speak, it's that we don't offer. Our, we're, we're not the first person in the queue to say, how about this? So related to AI, I was asked to run a session for our applicants to our sixth form next year. And it was pretty much left to me as to what I did. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do anything related to the library at our school. I'm going to do AI. And the minute I did that, people looked at me as if that was, you know, oh, OK, somebody's actually going to deliver this. Um, and it's it's exactly that. It's not even that I'm advocating for the library. It's just that I've said, this is what I can do. This is what it's going to look like. And I I agree. I don't think that comes naturally. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, I've been in libraries 20 years and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that before. So, I, you know, maybe I've not been listening to the right conversations, but I hear a lot of people say we don't speak loudly enough. We don't advocate for ourselves. But I don't hear that comment that we're too passive when we join in. Um, and I think that's really, really important. So let's move on to strategies. So, so I'm not necessarily talking about school libraries because obviously you don't all work in school libraries. Do you have examples of where you've successfully aligned your organisational goals with the needs of your profession? And what strategies did you use to achieve this? And we've talked a little bit about the a few things that we could be doing, but can I bring Sue Wills back in to answer that one for me? So I have a four point plan and I've okay. used this four point plan wherever I have worked, whether it's a school library or whether it's the public library service. And um, it's something I would suggest that people literally write a list and, and, and this is the, the action thing. So of the four points, the first one, and we've touched on this already, which is really do your research and really understand the goals of the organisation that you work for. Um, and sometimes it's actually quite difficult to find that. I've been reduced to Googling strategic documents because I can't find it um, in the organisation I'm actually working for. So make sure that you understand the goals of the organisation you're working for. Understand the data that you have. And it can be data about your residents or it can be data about your catchment area, or it can be data about your users. And in a school, for example, you have the data about your um, pupil users. So you've got your data. And then um, thinking about the, the goals of the organization, the data, then reflect and think um, about what you can add to um, the organization, what you can add, what you can initiate, or what you can develop. And um, I use, for example, um, for public libraries, the Libraries Deliver, which is the national strategy at the moment, which is being um, reworked. Or the other thing, which I think is incredibly useful, is the Carnegie Shining a Light report, um, which talks about um, that there's, there's um, a, a diagram in there, a model of a modern public library. It's literally on one side of A4. It doesn't matter what, who I've shown that to, a chief exec or a library assistant, they all get, oh, OK, I get it now. That's what a modern library looks like. Yes, it is. And it's literally one side of A4. That's it. Simple. 
And then I think when you've done your research, it's then listening to the needs of users, whether that's your senior leadership team, could be a school, could be the, the leadership team in the school or a public library or a council, whatever. And then also listen to those individual users, because, again, that gives you that data, that powerful data, that listening. And then my third point is actually have a training and skills plan and um, think about do you and the team have the right skills and knowledge and then this is the trick here is conduct a skills audit to identify the gaps. And even if you're on your own, do it for yourself. So you can actually be really thinking really hard about um, what you need to do for yourself. And a really good thing is the SILIP um, PKSB and the professional knowledge skills space. You can use that as a really good audit to actually understand maybe what you need to improve on. And then the fourth bit, the last bit, which is most important bit, is you create an action plan. So you're thinking about the action, the plan you're going to have, the actions you're going to take, the timelines, who's going to do what if you've got any budget, um, and then check that against the organisation plan to make sure they match up. And that kind of four-point plan, which is um, research, listen, training and skills, and then the action plan, no matter which organisation you're working for, no matter how small, how big, that will actually get you to where you want to be. And it's not rocket science, but we often forget the most basic things, don't we? So that's that's... That's it in a nutshell from my perspective. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I think I've seen um, both Sabrina and Ruth scribbling down, so hopefully we'll be able to, to repeat that at some point. Um, we will write it down and put it in the show notes. Um, I think it's so true, isn't it? I, one of the things that I talk about is, is the importance of your annual report and actually not writing your annual report at the end of the year, writing it for next year what is it that you want to achieve and what you're going to so it's a similar kind of thing and actually if we can incorporate those four points I think we'll be on to a winner so thank you so much Luke can I bring you in what strategies do you use um to to uh, align your organizational goals well it's now going to be the Sue Wells four point plan that's what I'll be using in the future <laughs> but um... I should have brought her in last shouldn't I <laughs> Um, I, th I think some of it speaks to what Sue Williamson was saying before that point of um, of, of uh, not being passive. So I think you know colleagues uh, in the service have talked about walking into a room and saying this is what libraries do, and sort of people switching off. And it's almost back to flipping it, the message round back to that this is what you need and how libraries provide it. Because I th again, not to keep going on about the perception view, but the idea that if you start off this this is what libraries do, people start saying, well, I know what they do. Whereas if you've got, if you really understand the goals and the aims and the outcomes that your organisation are trying to achieve and how the library can do it, then you've already said this is what you need and then you're demonstrating how you can do it. So you're building that credibility. And I think you, know, you need to be authentic when you're, when you're building these strategies. People see through if you're simply trying to, um, you know, pay lip service, if you like. So there really is understanding your organisation and, and, and knowing how you're you as a library can can help achieve those and and, and like Sue Will said you know you've got to sometimes dig around to find those but you know um Arts Council let's create as a strategy you know it's very clearly aligns the, the role of libraries how Arts Council support them and how libraries can help support the cultural sector so there's really got to be that organizational credibility and buy-in and I think some of that comes from speaking the right language so my experience of working in public libraries depending where you sit within your local authority you need to speak the language of, of those you're trying to um, <clears throat> advocate to and and deliver against their outcomes. So whether it's public health, whether it's business support or, or whether it's schools, you know, I'm not going to claim to know the, the language that's going to strike a note with education providers and, and sort of teachers, but it's using that right language and people within the schools will know what they're trying to achieve against. 
um, I think the asking questions, you know, and, and trying to understand and taking questions as well. So Sue Williamson, uh, one of the bits of advice that really sticks with me that she gave me when I started my role was, if someone asks you a question that seems like a trick about libraries, don't, just don't assume a level of knowledge. And I think that's, for me, is a really good base to go from is to, when you're steeped in libraries and you've been in them, you assume that people have an understanding of what they can deliver and people experience them in different phases of their life. And Sue Wells said the Shining a Light report, you know, talked about peeping people, sorry, seeing value in libraries, but not having used them for a period of time. So I think there's an assumption, not having those assumptions there. And then finally, because it's all I seem to talk about at the moment, is, is the data point is critical. You know, what is it you're trying to achieve? How are you going to demonstrate it? And what's the, what's the evidence you're going to have for it? Because um, as, as, as librarians and, and library workers, we will say libraries are brilliant because they can do this. And people will say, well, you would say that, you know, prove it kind of thing, which is where, the, you know, data and your advocates come in, have those unexpected voices that can speak for you. You know, it comes from an unknown, an unexpected quarter. Um, so yeah, I think that I think the the data, the language you use, and um, and sort of doing your research are critical. Yeah, I, I was going to say they, they. It's funny the language is a big one. Um, librarians seem to speak a different language from teachers, although they're talking the same, meaning the same thing. And it's not until you actually really understand that that you have to change what how you're saying it that can make a difference so I think you know I think that is is hugely hugely important um and data we're always talking about data aren't we we're always talking about if you can give them data <laughs> then they'll understand and actually we do need to do a lot more of that because I don't think it's something that that we do we do, I don't think we do it very well. We like to give figures of how many hundreds of books we issued this year and 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 how many people walk through the door. And as much as that's really important, it's the it's the why that's attached to that that's necessary, isn't it? The fact that, you know, the however many books you issued helped raise literacy levels, for example, is 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 the connection that we need to bring. So there is more to this um these strategies than than meets the eye aren't they <laughs> sue uh the other sue williamson can i bring you back in <laughs> I, I mean I, my colleagues have have covered such a lot there i think there are perhaps just i mean i would agree with everything they've said there are a couple of things i would add and one is that if you have a team what i always used to do when i was doing my service plan was i used to do a golden thread document so this is what i do as head of service and this is what every single member of my team going right down to the bottom. This is what you do in support of that particular aim and objective. So whatever the service plan said, I would I, I would put it out so that every single person in the organisation felt valued and understood what it was they brought to that and how their work supported mine and how my work supported theirs right the way through the organisation. So I think. And I think that, I mean, my the staff I had really appreciated that. I think communication with your team is absolutely vital. You know, they really appreciate being talked to. Why are we doing this? Why are you introducing that change? Why is this happening? What's it, what's the difference it's going to make? The other thing I would say is that I, I listened last week to um, um Amy from Sillet Wales and um, Nicola, who was also from um, from the Welsh government, talking to the Senate about the role of libraries and the, and the standards of, of libraries in Wales. And one of the questions they were asked by somebody, one of the challenges was, 
Libraries do an awful lot. Is there a danger that you are a jack of all trades and master of none? And you know what? That really made me think because you because actually we can. There is so much that libraries can contribute to. So I think I think it, going back to that original thing about knowing your aims and objectives of the organization you're in, try and focus on a few things that you want to do in your organization. You could probably do lots of stuff, but that weakens the role that you have and the impact that you have if you're trying to do too much at once. So what are the really key things that you want to do from which you can then build? Because I thought I thought I mean, I, it, the hackles on my neck went up when I heard that challenge, because I actually thought, you know, that is just so typical. You know, libraries just are dilettante. They just fiddle around at the edge of stuff and they, they do bits of things instead of actually valuing what libraries bring to the table. And the biggest example of that I have is, um, I think, listening to my colleagues in from health libraries about what they did during the pandemic. The fact that they did all the research for the medics, put all the up-to-date information in front of those medics so that they didn't have to do it themselves. And that saved so much time and so much effort on, on and, and was just a huge part of, of of being able to treat people and spend the time in the clinical forum instead of trying to find out what all the new information was that was coming through. So I think that's that's all I would add to this. But, it, but that's kind of trying to give it a bit of a bit of depth or a bit of focus, I think. So so there's two things from that. Um, this golden thread is great if it's coming from the top if it's coming from a senior leader who understands. Many of the people listening to this are school librarians whose senior leaders hardly even know that they exist or, or even what they do. So is there any way to create this thread back up to the top? Is there any way, and I suppose I'm, I'm, I've already, we're already answering the question that I'm currently asking because I suppose it's about it's about helping those senior leaders understand the role that you play. Mm. Um, and I think it also links to that second point you made, Sue, about um, a jack of all trades. School librarians are notoriously yes people. Mm. Will you photocopy? Will you fix the laminator? Will you, will you, will you? And we're so desperate to... Um, be acknowledged to be seen as as somebody that will help we get distracted I think um so have I answered my <laughs> have I answered my own question in 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 that would you would you agree is there anything that that school librarian Sue can do to to help hook that golden thread back up to the right place I think you can look at what I mean if you if you can get sort of a sense of all the aims and objectives that your school has to deliver and you can then do that reverse golden thread okay this is what you're trying to achieve this is what I can do this is what this is what your teachers are doing this is what you know your your class monitors whatever your your hierarchy is within the school this is how it all interlinks but it is an interlinking thing it's not the library on the outside it's an integral part of the work that the school is doing um, I, I suppose I, that's what I, I mean. What I mean when I was describing it, I talked about the fact that I was. It was. It was because I had a, a, a team, and very often in a library service, 
the, the staff, the Saturday assistant that does four hours a week doesn't see the head of service, you know, doesn't have very much contact with them. And I, I mean, I had quite a small service to manage, so I, I was relatively lucky in that sense in terms of geography. Um, but I was very visible in my service. I, you know, I, I went round to my libraries. I talked to the staff. I was, you know, I'm, I made certain that I was a visible head of service. Plus, also, I'd worked as a senior library assistant, so I basically said, you know, you can't tell me that I you can't do X, Y, and Z because I've done it. Done it. You know, <laughs> I've been there. I've been there on that front line, and I know what what is difficult and what is not difficult. Um, but I think that 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 that's a for me that's a really important part I think you t you are as strong or as weak as the team that you are a part of absolutely I think that's so important can I um ask the three of you to give if you've got some examples of some successful collaboration between organizations and external stakeholders and how they've impacted and I know that won't it won't relate to school libraries necessarily but but just having an example of why these are important um, might just help. So can I start with Sue Wills? She needs to unmute. Yeah, just unmuting myself and just putting my hand down. Um, I just want to go back and just pick up very briefly um, um, some of the things that Sue was talking about. And I think um, just going back and again, being really Really, really kind of going back to basics really I think in terms of um, thinking about um, sort of organization aims I'm very just want to make the point that you know let's check what's already there what's already in the public domain you know often with school websites people forget the amount of amazing information on a school website will include the school development plan um, and so it's thinking about you know what does the latest Ofsted report say um, about the school development plan um, and also I think it's really important that um, in schools we're really clear about what the senior leadership team are focused on you know for example it may be the pupil, pre pupil premium pupils they're really focused on and also I'm very keen and, and I know we're all on the call we're very keen to talk about creating our own support network and we've got some amazing organizations in this country things like um, SILIP and the School Library Association um, and then I'm also um, kind of the, the kind of thing I just want to add before we move on is making sure that you've got your own library development plan. That's absolutely fundamental, I think, um, having having a, a library development plan. But just going back over now to the kind of the, the successful collaborations, um, I think one of the organisations that's so brilliant at doing this for um, school libraries as well as public libraries is the Reading Agency. And um, the amazing things that they do in terms of those collaborations and often and I've found this when I've talked and through school library services, for example, talking to school librarians and thinking about how do, how do I how do I how do I basically um, how do I create a step change in what I'm doing and I've got so little resource. But that's where the benefit of, if you like, um, partnering up with the reading agency and you can do that, you, you know, you don't need um, vast sums of money or anything like that. You can just connect up with the reading agency. You've also got also got ASCO, which is. Um, the, the Children's Librarians Organization. And then also the other thing I would just put out there, because I think this is not, um, uh, people don't think about it enough, is um, LinkedIn. It's making sure that you've got a presence on LinkedIn and find those people that you think, okay, this is a natural ally for me, or this person might help me um, connect up. And I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to have people connect with me on LinkedIn um, to kind of be that hand up as well. Um, so there's a number of ways in which you connect with that don't cost anything, 
but are actually out there. And it's basically um, kind of just putting your hand up going, I need some help or I could do with some support or could you help me partner up with this? Um, so just, just to say all of that, some of the things which are really low cost. And can I just say the latest thing I think, which I'm very, very happy about because I think it gives librarians a real opportunity to make a mark. And I think we need to talk about it a bit more, maybe not tonight, is the new Ofsted inspection framework. I think that's our secret weapon almost because we can we can do so much through that new Ofsted inspection framework I'm, I looked at that and I thought yes here's an opportunity for school librarians and librarians to make their mark so get to know that really well please thank you I'll make sure I have a proper read of it before before we talk again to you. <laughs> um yeah I think I think it is really really important that we that we you know do as much as we can. So, can I bring can I bring Luke in? Uh, we're talking about we're talking about um, uh, what are we talking about? The strategies now, the strategies that you've the impact the library's had. I can't. I'm lost. I've lost my question. Um, you can tell this is live. Um, so we were talking about working with outside agencies, Elizabeth. Thank you. <laughs> That's what co-hosts are all about. Luke, do you want to come in and talk about outside agencies for me? Yes, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly the experiences I've had around it have been in public libraries, and I think, although it's with another library service, I think the work that the business and IP centres have done through with the British Library have been a really brilliant example of external agencies, certainly outside local authorities, building, um, it's built the profile of libraries, but it's also done that thing where it's, it's unique, it's harnessed the unique skills that libraries have, so Public libraries have had business libraries longer than the business and IP centre network in existence. But what it did is it almost supercharged it. So it took the skills that libraries had around uh, intellectual property advice and the collections that they had and the online resources. But then it, it partnered it with um, that British Library branding and networking and, and, the, and the huge collection. Obviously, they've got a Boston Spa and St Pancras, but it kind of supercharged that already existing offer. And, and for us, when, when I was head of service in Newcastle, what it did was it put us on the radar. So we built relationships with universities, uh, both of the universities in Newcastle, and we also built relationships with our economic development team. So a bit back to using that language again is things like gross value add and you know jobs created and, and those kind of things. It was the language that spoke to, to that part of the council. So it put us on the radar. And as far as I'm aware, it's still you know quite different from the way that some of the other business and IP centre network is delivered so it's across the UK now and, and the the sum of the impact of that is 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 being felt now but I think for, on a local level it really allowed us to use that strength of that relationship to, to enhance what we did so it was bringing a little bit of um, reputation with it you know wanting to work with the British Library but it was using the skills that we already had in-house and I think you know libraries across the board have always been Great. That's one of the, you know, having been critical of libraries and said they're not, we're not very good at selling our message. Libraries are great at partnership working and building partnerships, um, and, and sustainable ones as well. You know, and they're they're drawing on those skills, and maybe it's part of the profession, but knowing where to go to find the support and the answer. So I think back to that kind of uh, the point that's been made before of uh, that Sue Williamson was saying about being a jack of all. You know, libraries aren't always, they're not the answer to everything, but they are part of the solution in a number of cases. And it's finding where that's the case and picking those, uh, sort of targeting that approach where you can, because that's where the, the difficult sell comes when you're trying to advocate for your service, a universal service that should be accessible and of value to everyone. Where do you target? Because it's a, it's a difficult sell to say, well, we're here for everyone. So when you, when you target it towards those areas and, and you build those 
um, trusted relationships. I think that's where you can have that impact. I think as well is when you have those conversations, conversations that allow you to understand uh, where you can help. Very often I've, I've had a conversation with a head teacher or, a, or, or even, you know, a teacher and and it's suddenly I've suddenly realized that actually I have the perfect tool in my toolbox that is going to help them solve this problem. And but if I had not had that conversation, it would it, nobody would know. So so those conversations are hugely important as well as as well as understanding our connections. You know, librarians have huge connections. It's like when I think about the the number of exciting opportunities I've had based on somebody else knows somebody else and and this is the person that you speak to and and it's one of our our real skills isn't it and actually tapping into that I think is is important um I'm going to bring Sue Will Williamson in now <laughs> um, is there is there any successful collaborations you can think of um yes I mean I I think I I would say that um there are a lot, um, but I, but one of the ones that um, from a, a public library perspective is that um, when the task force came to an end, um, uh, we set up a group of um, key sector stakeholders who were um, really engaged in the sector. So the British Library, Local Government Association, Arts Council England as the um, as the agency responsible for development of public libraries, um, Libraries Connected and there's a fifth one. Oh, Silip. <laughs> of course, Silip. Um, bringing those people together and actually that that sense of, of instead of people being in separate rooms, having conversations and not actually coming together to understand, you know, where the differences were, how we could overcome the differences, how we could present a united front. Because the most important thing about, I mean, certainly from a, a public library perspective, is you know who who are the people that you're trying most to influence and and it's it's a lot of the government departments that don't have a, a natural connection so the department of education uh, the department of health the department of justice all of those departments are have have important work that they need doing that libraries can support but actually getting those conversations is really quite difficult. So bringing the internal organisations together to present a united front to put, you know, to put to put the point of view forward, um, I think was was hugely important and and really helpful. And that that group of people was supported and and Tother Sue sat on that by the head of service sounding board, so that we made sure that everything that um, that we we took forward as an initiative was understood by the people who might actually want to implement it and if they've got any issues with it they were sorted out before somebody said they can do that um and and we made sure that everybody was in alignment so i think i think that's really important i think also the other one i would say is is the way in which uh, i think luke's example of the business and intellectual property centers is brilliant but there is now a pathway from public libraries, and um, there is a report that Arts Council published about um, the, the impact that libraries have on the employment agenda for people who are looking for work. 
There's the Business and Intellectual Property Centre Network, which supports entrepreneurs and new businesses. And there is also now um, money going into supporting businesses at the next stage of their development when they have a turnover of over 500,000. So we can actually say to the Department of Employment, right, public libraries support the, your employment agenda from the person who's on universal credit looking for job right through to the, to the person who's now got a turnover and is employing seven or eight people. That, 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 th that again, it's, it's like a thread going through. And, and the final one I would point to, I think, is, is the, um, and Sue mentioned the PKSB, is the, um, the fact that that people who are now joining the profession, whatever part of the profession, are able to look at a, a, a career pathway going through, how they can develop their skills. So, uh, I mean, most local authorities will ask for GCSE English and Maths. And you arrive there and now Silip have produced, actually, I have it right here, this booklet that says, welcome to libraries. And it says you've joined this profession and, and this is what it stands for. And this is what you will be able to do in order to grow your career within that profession. The one thing which I think and I would like to advocate for as I go forward in Silip and next year as president is the ability to move between sectors. We don't have that very much yet now. So, so we're not benefiting from the experience you guys have in school libraries or the experience we have in public libraries or in academic libraries or in health libraries. It's not very easy to move between sectors. And I'd like to see that a little bit more. We are, we are certainly looking forward to that, Sue. <laughs> um, can I bring Ruth in? She's got a question. Yeah, I was just thinking um, that talking about working with outside agencies from a school librarian's point of view on a much smaller scale feels to me like um, the librarian reaching out to the various departments and trying to build cross-departmental groups looking at some kind of particular aspect of the school's development plan. So one of the things that we are, well, it isn't in this year's development plan but I'm sure we'll be in next because we're a grammar school is looking at those pupil premiums and making sure that we're picking those up I've already spoken to the head about one initiative they've got but um and thinking about what we were talking about earlier about being uh, active rather than passive thinking about okay well I could talk to you know, the English department or the STEM department or whoever it is, maybe I could get something going and treat those departments like outside agencies effectively and build those partnerships within the school. It, so sorry, it's just a kind of... No, it's... It, yeah, from a, it, you know, from a uh, somebody, from a, the average school librarian can barely reach out. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, the reading agencies, there are lots of those things, but... But if you want to practice that sort of collaboration on a smaller scale, that might be a way to think about it. Sounds perfect. Sue Williamson, can I bring you back in? Yeah, I was I was just going to say, hang on, I'll lower my hand. I was just going to say, actually, that in terms of, of, of a resource that I know about, um, and I'm going to need to go back and see if I can find the name and I'll let you have it. But there was an uh, American um scholar that came over a couple of years ago Kellyanne Holmes I think her name was and she did a big project with STEM STEM projects through libraries 
And she started off in London, she ended up in Scotland and she did a big report and, and the, all of the resources are there. All of the resources are public and available for you to use. So going to your STEM group and saying, look, these are some of the projects. What, what is it that you want to try and really get across to your pupils? These are some of the projects that are going on in libraries across the world because she's gone back to the States now. She was doing a graduate program, I think. Um, uh, these are some of the things that have been proven to work really well and to be fun because that's what the library brings, isn't it? It brings that element of it's not just about school and learning. It brings the enjoyment of it all. And that's what makes the library so special. And there's been quite a bit in the press recently um, over the last week about the increase in literacy levels, how we've gone up the table. But that doesn't talk at all about kids enjoying reading. Uh, or enjoying STEM subjects and and that you know it's not just about being able to do is it it's about actually enjoying what it is you're doing and thinking and, and learn having that inquiring mind and wanting to go on and find out more but I'll find out that I mean Luke you may have them um, but I I'll see if I can find out the details and I'll pass them on to Elizabeth that would be great thank you Luke can I bring you in I think it's just a really important point that Sue Williamson makes there as well and I think you know um, Sue was a big champion of reading for pleasure when, when she was in the Arts Council role before now and I think that's something that we're I don't mean we as in this room but as, as a sector we're, we're, we're um, guilty of maybe forgetting or at risk of losing you know libraries are responsive and adaptive and step in and you know public libraries did it during Covid and they've managed to you know rebranded as warm spaces even though they've always been warm spaces and you know provide computer access and, and have been adaptive and fleet of foot but actually and, and again, not to speak for Sue Williamson because she's here, but the, you know, I know it's a bugbear of hers when people say, oh, we're more than just books. Well, just books is OK. You know, that there, there is if, if you do nothing, if, a, if a, a library provided nothing other than books and maybe computers, that would be fine. So it's great that they do serve other agendas and they support the priorities. But actually, you know, I mean, I was I was fated to always, you know, read, you know, both parents were librarians, you know, trained librarian you know my daughter stands no chance you know but uh, you know that it's not always the case with people and actually reading picking something up reading it whatever it is so you know this this idea this myth that um, you know young boys don't read at certain ages well when I was at school kids were you know reading manga or were reading you know um sport related stuff or were reading non-fiction you know so I think it's it's, it's about that reading for pleasure I think is still critical to it so yes absolutely do the other bits but actually um at the core of it, it's you know read something, whatever. It's, so there's it's not that judgmental bit about it. It's just pick up something and and benefit from it and get lost in the world of reading. Absolutely, Sue. Can I bring you back in? Very briefly, and it's really basic, but we haven't mentioned it. Is um, librarians, as we all know, are very friendly people, and we all love networking. So if you are feeling isolated, as particularly as a school librarian, because often you're the only member of staff working in that school library, please reach out to your public library service, because that's such a such an easy thing to do. And even if it's a conversation that make you know, they're just just two librarians having a conversation, or maybe it's the local library as well. But reach out to your public library service because we're all librarians at heart. We all have the same ambitions: is to help our children, and young people, be really successful. And reading is such a key thing to to make you successful. And we all know the figures and all the data. 
but don't miss the obvious. Please reach out to your public library service and, and introduce yourself and kind of, can we work together on stuff? Because they will, they will hold, they will wrap their arms around you. Yes, let's do things together. So please don't forget that. Absolutely, absolutely. Sue, so you had your hand up a second, has it gone down again? Yeah, yeah, I did. Sorry, I don't quite know, I don't quite know why it went down again. I must have done something else. I was just going to also say that somebody earlier mentioned Askell. And of course, Askell is now, a sector support organisation from the, through funded through the Arts Council, and and I mean I think actually I think the Arts Council's now changed its terminology, but that terminology sector support organisation that's what it's there to do, and it now it's not just a group of it's um, I'm using that word just again it isn't simply the librarians coming together. There is now a paid team who are there to support you guys in what it is you're, you're doing. And then very new to the job and they're, they're just starting out, but they have a relationship manager in the Arts Council and they are there to help in the same way that Libraries Connected has been, has, has really grown over the last five years and supports the public library sector. So it's, this is, this is, and this was of huge interest to Arts Council because Arts Council also has a department that deals with children and young people. So that business of bringing, you know, children and young people, Askell together, the whole library network and, and that support. And it isn't just about culture. It's about supporting every aspect of the work that you do and the development of that work. And that's what that team will will be doing in the future. So, so you know, sort of it, I think it's at the moment, it's a bit of a two way street. What do you you telling them what you want them to do? And then supporting you. But over time, that will really grow and develop. And you'll find that should be really helpful. Fantastic. Maybe, Sue, you can give me a link that I can probably share in the, the show notes that, that would be useful for everybody to find. Um, Luke should be. I mean, it's no, Luke. Luke should be able okay. to do that now because it, it's all. I mean, I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, would be, that would be perfect. That would be perfect. Well, I've just noticed that the time is moving on. So I'm going to say one thing and then ask a final question. So so I'm going to take this opportunity to promote my membership to any schools looking for ways to support collaboration between teachers and librarians, primarily to help to boost independent learning, literacy and well-being through your school library. If you're not sure how to make this happen, my membership programme offers training and support for school librarians and teachers and creates opportunities to engage across the whole curriculum. You can find out more in the show notes below. So let's finish with one final question. Um, I'm going to take us back to the school's aims and objectives. So it is, what role do the school's aims and objectives play in shaping the future of school libraries and how can this be used to help drive positive change and innovation? Luke, can I start with you on that one, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, Big question. Yeah. So you, you can you just ask it quickly? So, so, what, so let me say it again. What role does the school's aims and objectives play in shaping the future of school libraries and how can this be used to help drive positive change and innovation? Well, I think, I mean, it's kind of what we've been talking about the whole time we've been here, but it is that, you know, that libraries are not there uh, in isolation, you know, so the libraries... I think we talked about them, whether it's a public library, it's part of a, a local authority or then it's a school library, it's part of the school. So I think it's it's, it's that danger of maybe treating, not treating them as separate, you know, they are an integral part to it. So 
hopefully the school's aims and objectives are the aims and objectives of that library as well. So it's trying to find that that symbiotic link between them. So again, for me, it comes back to um, really under, going, doing that research and understanding where it is they're coming for the aims and objectives that they're trying to achieve. And they should they should align. But again, it's about picking your battle sounds like a wrong word because it, but it being a bit, there is a lot of, you know, competing against a lot of agendas. And I think this idea of having not having um, a school library is a nice to have. It's an essential. It's a critical. You know that the, there's evidence here that suggests you know that your um, your educational attainment and your life chances are improved by them being there. So again, it comes back to that evidence of it of of knowing what you're saying, having the authority to back authoritative information to back it up, and then making the case and and maybe you know, yeah picking those bits that you can focus on. You know the danger is of I suppose you want to get to that point where the first thought is, oh, well, we can go to the library for that. Right. But it then becomes a point where you say, okay, but there's this, or there's that, you know, the, the, the bits you can do. And I think there is a, a risk as well, I suppose, of, you know, that they're being asked to do ever more, and particularly in a school environment when everyone's asked to take on more and more as as, as more um, priorities take um, become apparent. And I think it's kind of, you know, what's the additional resource that comes with it? So as you build up that credibility, you're, you're asking, you can do it, but you may need more, you know, to, to back you up in doing it. So I think there is, the, 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 it would be a strange or a worrying organisation if you couldn't align your, your your aims and objectives with each other. But I think it's really, it's knowing, it, it, having a good understanding and a good grounding of where you're trying to go. Um, and, and I think, you know, I definitely love taking away Sue Williamson's point of, you know, around not being passive, you know, that, that not waiting for people to come to you. I mean, it's happened in public libraries where people are saying, um, you know, people aren't coming in and once they know what they can get, the, we, we'll get more of them in. Well, actually, it's maybe on us to go out a bit more and do that, that forward facing and, and you know, making that point of what we're here and this is what we're doing. Um, and it's a, an expression I'm, I'm not massively fond of, but in the Northeast, they like talking about shy bairns getting out and, you know, you've got to put yourself out there and, and you know, um, make yourself make people aware of you absolutely thank you so much Luke um Sue Wills can I bring you in for that final question do you need me to ask it again no um so and I think the critical thing here is driving positive change and innovation so um I've got three points I want to make so first of all and we've made this already which is show how you're contributing to the school's overall aims um and that's true of any organization you're working for and for all libraries that's the first point because by doing that, you're demonstrating what an integral role the school library plays in making the school successful. And then a lot of that best practice is scalable. So the, my call to arms, really, my call to action is think about the things that are and share them as a think piece. Put them in a blog, put them on LinkedIn, um, put them on the Twitter feed for the School Library Association, contact SILIP. But don't just basically really um, talk about the good things that you're doing in your school and really promote, promote, promote. That's that's my, my my call to action. If nothing else is tell people what you are doing and connect. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sue. And Sue Williamson, can I bring you back in for that final question? Well, I think um, Luke and Sue have said quite a lot. The one thing I would probably add to that is I would look at what's keeping your head of your head teacher awake at night. What's the biggest problem he's he or she has got in their school? Um, you know, what, what, are, what are their top three priorities? Whatever the service plan says, what are the things that are keeping him awake at night? 
and and then I would think right what do I do what do I what do I go into him and say right these are your problems this is what we can do to help you sort them amazing what a brilliant way to finish thank you so much so thanks for joining me today, Sue, Sue, Luke, Ruth and Sabrina. It's been really interesting to fa and, and fascinating to chat to you. I hope we've given you a little more understanding about what online resources are available for school librarians and opportunities to provide that we are talking about the aims and objectives. I hope we have covered, you know, lots of ideas and, and ways to move forward. Um, as always, if you'd like to comment on anything you've heard this evening, we'd love to hear your thoughts in the, the comments below. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on future discussions. Thank you for listening and good night. <laughs>